welcome to The Bible Preacher, your weekly award-winning podcast where we talk about the Bible, make a playlist. I'm Matt Cadle, pastor at St. Mark's Lutheran Church and campus ministry and part of the Southwest California Synod staff. Now, Zach, look out. i got to be more careful about what I say now that I'm on a podcast with, uh, with Synod staff. Uh, it's not Matt, your synod, though, so not your synod. Word gets no in region you. two. You know, word gets, things get around. Things get around. If you come into my jurisdiction, <laughs> I'll keep an eye on you. Oh, Matt, I, I can't wait to, to be in your jurisdiction uh, in, in late <laughs> spring uh, for Coachella. <laughs> yes. Actually, that's uh, Pacifica's jurisdiction. Oh, okay, so good. Doesn't even count. <laughs> I imagine I'll probably find LAX, though. So there'll be a moment there. But I'm glad to know that once we get out there, all bets are off. <laughs> all bets are off. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. Matt, something crazy happened this week. What happened? Uh, something that never happens. It really doesn't happen. Uh, it never happens. We talk about a text uh, together when we record the podcast, and, and that normally helps me get to a sermon. I get to write a sermon that way. And if I can't, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm feeling like I'm, something is missing, then I'll go back and I'll listen to the podcast, and it'll rekindle some things, uh, and I'll make some connections, and it'll get me going again. Uh, but I did that, Matt. Last week, we talked about a text. I listened to the podcast. And on Friday uh, afternoon and evening, I texted you and said, so what are you actually going to preach? Because I didn't have much, man. I didn't have much. How did it... This was the story of a uh, uh, dishonest manager, is yeah. what the story was. And on Friday, I had nothing. And to be honest, Matt, I had, did, a, did a funeral on Saturday. And so it was not until Saturday evening that I, that I got anything. And some stuff came together. I don't... I'm still not pleased with it, Matt. Every now and then it's important for us to do some reflection on, 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 on preaching. You don't always get to do that as a preacher, to look back at what you did. I feel like it was a really good teaching. I don't know how good of a sermon it was. Mm. I thought I explained the text well. I had a good line in there that what, where I raised the possibility that maybe Jesus is the one who's running around tricking us into forgiving one another that I thought was mm -hmm. pretty good. Yeah. But I never felt like it had the punch at the end. I critiqued mm. your... Matt sent me a document so I got to see what his sermon was looking like. And oh. you told that story of Robert Smith in your doc. I don't know if he told it. Yeah. Uh, who forgave or did not forgive the debts of Morehouse College's graduates last year, but paid them uh, $34 right. million. And I talked about it in the sermon, but then I said it's not a perfect, not the perfect analog because in that story, the debts are paid. It's just someone else paying them. And that, that, that my whole thing was that this is the most unbelievable story in the Bible. Because these debts aren't paid, they're forgiven. And that's something utterly incomprehensible that we just can't comprehend. Yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the direction that I went with it. I don't know if there was a perfect analog, but I, I guess I'm learning with parables that it's not, it's not about the perfect analog, right? It's about like getting into that jagged edge and letting it do what it does. So I, but I did think like my, like I did have a killer, like, la like, like last, uh, like I was a killer closer that I use that story of Robert Smith and I said the world calls it you know he's going to pay off these debts and you might say no no those students need to pay that back like that's what that's what a balanced scale of justice would look like uh, is what some might say uh, and so you might call what he did dishonesty or trickery uh, but we call it grace and people were with me on that line I think that I think that landed you know and I think sometimes in preaching like you're not doing like you've got to do the plumbing of systematic theology 
Mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that you're not saying something heretical. But preaching is also different from systematic theology because you're like getting in and getting out, right? It's like boxing or something where you're like, you can throw it and then you can get out. You're not like constructing a cathedral in your sermon. You're like, you're getting in, you're getting some jabs. You're going to hopefully land that uppercut that's going to be the the solid good news that sticks with them. And then you're getting out, but you're not doing like the... You know, I don't I'm know. always looking for that punch to the gut that I think yeah. that for me, that's what makes the ser- makes a good sermon. Yep. And that's what I've always loved uh, about like Craig Satterley's best sermons was they had like an emotional like stomach punch uh, where yeah. there's there's a lot of stuff going on. And, and it's really interesting. Uh, but then yeah. it's not necessarily a flip, but it's just this unexpected move that grounds it deeply. Uh, right. All the pretty stuff. Well, and the way that I've been getting at that lately is to really try to make it personal, try to figure out what is going to land for my people. And maybe that sounds like something that is just obvious, but it's so tempting to just to preach about justice and, and social justice and peacemaking. And these are all like really good things, but until you tie it to somebody's actual experience, you know, what's keeping them awake at night, what's getting them up in the morning until you can tie it to that experience and really make it personal. Um, I think that's the rub. And when you get there, when you start to get there, when you start to get to that like tricky thing that, that keeps you up at night, even as a preacher, Mm -hmm. uh, then I think you start, you start to get somewhere. Right. And I think that surprises people too, (laughs) because people aren't necessarily expecting a sermon that is actually going to, (laughs) you know, yeah, that's true. So it's true. You know, Matt, while, Parables may not have perfect analogs. Uh, this podcast is really into analog. <laughs> yep. Vinyl. Ooh. But Matt, i got a question for you. Yeah. I know you've been working a lot. I've been working a lot. You went to the Dinosaur Festival. I'm super jealous about that. But the question I have for you, Matt, would you say that over the past week you have been misbehaving? Because earlier this week, I caught my daughter, and she was running around the house with a pickle in her mouth. Did you love that song? Oh, I loved it. <laughs> it, was, it sounded like it could be a real song. I, <laughs> uh, like... I follow a significant part of my Twitter. Uh, the people I follow on Twitter are Atlanta-based people. And... <laughs> And they had that song ranked above, uh, like, Ray Charles uh, as the greatest musical export from the state of Georgia is Walter, Walter Goggins' uh, misbehaving. Baby Billy Freeman. Baby, Baby Uncle Billy. Baby Billy. <laughs> Uncle Baby Billy told me that I could sing with him. Yeah, and I finally figured, like, it. Like you listen to the song and it's like there are all these ways they're misbehaving, and then they're like... And they meet Satan or something like that. Like, come to Christ. But then the tour is called Still Misbehaving. Like, yes. Like, <laughs> it's fantastic. I met the man with the thorny crown on his head. Yeah, the thorny crown, yeah. Who told me that all this leads to Satan? Uh, so we're talking about the Righteous Gemstones uh, weekly television program on HBO. Uh, it's fantastic, Zach. It's fantastic. I was writing one. You're just now into it. You're caught up, man. What are your, what's your big takeaway here? I love that the town is called Locust Grove. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like every time I see it, it cracks me up. Uh, We were talking about, you know, how to, how to grow a church. And I love when baby Billy shows up to the the other guy's congregation and he goes, it's the most boring sermon I've ever heard in my life. And he turns to the person next to him and is like, how long have you been coming to this church? And then he like hands her a business card and says, I'll see you in my church next Sunday. It's just kind of like, okay. And it's like, 
I gotta start doing that. Just start going to churches and. <laughs> I know some places you could start, man. <laughs> it was, it was amazing. I loved uh, the whole youth ministry episode. <laughs> you know you love back episode but the youth ministry episode was just like 40 minutes of just brilliance for me right like i love that the there's like a satanic like dance squad the satanic <laughs> ravers the right. rave squad and when she goes off to like the night when she sneaks away to the nightclub it's not just a nightclub it's a satanic, satanic ra- like i mean it's just it's it's hilarious like it's all i mean I there's a know. universe there a universe exists where, where the biggest fear of, of youth group attendees and youth group leaders is that their their young people might be involved in satanic raves, right? Yes. I went and to I one of those youth groups as a kid. <laughs> right. It was my like, friend's church. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so it's so true life. It's like somehow dialed up to 11 and yet somehow like it's home as there's like truth in it. Uh, I love the line and I want this quote like on my wall where, <laughs> where Eli Gemstone says, you know, a lot of people think youth ministry is for immature, unserious pastors. I don't think that, but a lot of people think that. <laughs> it's just... And then the whole way that he talks, where he, like, he goes to, like, her track meet, which I've done to support kids, but he goes to the track meet, she's the only one there. And he goes, I know our last hang got, out to a rock, got off to a rocky start. Let's start over. Youth group meeting tonight. Come on, no press. We got the sky zone unlocked. We're just we're just gonna do some jumps, some flips, get his power in our life. Just get loose with it. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, is that how you sell your campus ministries act? Like we're hey, no no prep. We're just gonna we're just getting some food. We're gonna do some cool stuff. Get his power in our life, and it's just it's fantastic. So he's a complete goofball. But then but then this is what I also kind of loved about it was that like he's a complete goofball. It's it's insane, and yet. The story actually resolves with like, he like does a good thing for her. Like she gets yeah. abandoned by her boyfriend cause he's a douchebag. And then he like rescues her and she's like, oh yeah, I, I think I might come to youth group. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so we, we as religious leaders can be complete idiots. And yet still, sometimes it works. Kelvin Jenstone is the only one who seems to like be a res- remotely respectable human. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> as ridiculous as he is, the whole scene where he's like doing flips and jumps and everything, uh-huh. like, what is happening? But yeah, he's actually like not a not a completely terrible dude, unlike the other two. Siblings. What's what's his what's his friend's name? Do you remember? Oh yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> uh, because that was my favorite quote from this week's episode. Uh, which is sometimes what campus ministry is like, or just being on the college campus is like, uh, hey, uh, buddy, that shirt's not as long as you think it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's uh, look, dear listeners, we're just we're just laughing about this, but you gotta you gotta check it out because it's uh, it. it's it is so it's like a brilliant. There's some brilliant little uh, snapshots of ministry that are both ridiculous and yet somehow also true. <laughs> I'm dead serious. There are youth groups in this country no. right now who are sincerely concerned about satanic raves as the primary threats. So they do. They did a SWOT analysis of their youth group: strength, weakness, opportunity, threats, and under threats. Satanic raving is one of those threats, right? And and that's what makes it so good. Is you're not your youth group is not that far away from there, right? Like right? Yeah, just, it's just a hop and a skip to satanic ravers being the primary threat, right? It's a thin line. 
Also, the, the commemorative coins that were made. <laughs> I laughed so hard. He goes, you made us commemorative coins with our names on them that said I did it? Yeah, we did it. And Yeah, we did it. And then it's like a throwaway thing. And then it comes back like two episodes later. And the look on his face, he's like, you kept the coins? And he goes, yep, I kept the coins. Now throw them in the lake. Yeah. It was so good. He gets so sad that he has to throw his "We did it" coin. That's a cross on one side, and it says "We did it" on the other. Oh, but they just set us up, Matt, uh, to break down the most recent episode. It felt good, didn't it? You saw um, Danny McBride's character. His family was gelling together. Him and uh, his his uh, formerly prodigal son are having like real human moments together. Everybody is redeemed. Um, you see Eli with a twinkle in his eye to see that, yes, uh, Judy, who is a monster, uh, has some skills and talents. And you can see his, his wife in her and she's singing with baby Billy, Uncle Baby Billy Freeman. And you're like, wow, maybe they aren't the worst people on Earth. Uh, and it's all a setup for next week, Matt, because they're going to kick our teeth in. Uh, yeah. <laughs> also, the last, this episode started... The episode before this one ended with the van flipping over. Yeah. And Danny McBride's character is with his wife, and he's like, he's in this high-speed chase with her. He's like, uh, it's one of the guys I do elaborate pranks with. Elaborate <laughs> pranks. Yeah. And, and like he's been using that as a cover for lots of the crime that he's been committing. Right. And also how they, they shame one of his buddy's wives for breaking into his Yahoo. That's unethical uh, to get the footage. Um I have to get the emails about ATL, which they don't understand what it means. Uh, but it, that whole episode ended with, oh, he's not going to be able to explain this as uh, <laughs> elaborate prank. And this scene opens in the kitchen. And she was like, what is going on? That was not an elaborate prank. And he's like, well, you mean the van flipping over? She's like, yeah. And he's like, well, clearly it wasn't a very good one. <laughs> and then the episode just moves on. Yep. <laughs> she gets over it. He's like, maybe I'll fill it full of shaving cream. <laughs> yep. Yep. And the it fancy is. Nancy chicken leg Coke machine was beautiful. Yeah, that was, that was his reward. <laughs> it was awesome. It was incredible, man. Yep. What a show. Check it out. Check it out, listeners. Also, shout out to a good friend of the pod, uh, Matt, do you have a report back? Uh, we were trying to figure out who Jason Gallagher of The Ringer, uh, who their Lutheran pastor friend is. Did you solve the oh, mystery? I failed. I failed. failed. Well, uh, Jason, we appreciate that you're... We don't know that you're listening. We can only assume that you are. But you did follow our account on Twitter. Uh, Jason Gallagher, uh, Emmy, Aw- Emmy Award-winning producer of NBA Desktop uh, and Hallelujah. <laughs> Right? I mean, he performed Hallelujah at uh, American Airlines Arena in Dallas for our good friend, friend of the pod, Luca Doncic. Jason, we want you to come on the pod. You tweeted at us. We loved it. It made us happy. Um, we want to talk gemstones from a, from a more religious, uh, theological perspective. So hit us yeah. up. And then Let's do it. Uh, we, can, we can produce some, some uh, web series together. Yes. Award winner to award winner. Come on on. <laughs> Indeed. Let's make it happen. So we also, uh, sometimes we also talk about the Bible. Hmm. Unlike the gemstones. (laughs) 
<laughs> also, their sanctuary, but how they've drained the, the numbers the, the, of the all seers. the seers, the converted <laughs> seers. They used, that's an incredible line, too, from Baby Billy Freeman. Uh, <laughs> they used to sell slacks here. Uh, but now you can buy Jesus, but you can't put him on layaway. <laughs> Is exactly the kind of line that I heard in sermons growing up at my friends' churches, mostly. It doesn't make any sense, but it, but it, it said in the right way and it lands, right? And you're like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But they've drained all the local churches, so it would sound like the attendance is in the thousands. Um, yeah. But there can't be more than 300 people in that church uh, from right. what I've seen. Maybe they have multiple services. They're fudging their annual reports is what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> the woman's just sobbing in the middle of that, that last sermon by the, the other yeah. preacher. <laughs> he ends his sermon with, also, we'll, we'll find a space more uh, suitable for our current size. And like walks off sad. That's a closer. That's a good closer for your sermon. So I'm going to close my sermon next week. <laughs> yep. Yep. I'm going to try it. Oh, that's the thing. We didn't get... Oh, Matt, we could talk so much about the Jensen's. I know. Because everybody... I, know. I don't know if everybody has, but if you're in our part of the church world, which is on the periphery of things, uh, you've had that experience preaching to an empty church. Um, <laughs> like that. Yeah. It's true. I don't even know why you would get in trouble for running through the house with a pickle in your mouth. But I love it. It makes me so happy. Oh, and Matt, speaking of misbehaving, Lamentations is where the semi-continuous finds us. And uh, you're not going to believe this. Uh, Lamentations, if Lamentations was a band, it'd be Dashboard Confessional. it's a little on the emo side here. Uh, it's not a lot of it's not a pick you up kind of book of the Bible, uh, mm. and the writer of Lamentations is lamenting uh, that the people of Israel they've been uh, misbehaving. Uh, how lonely sits the city that once was full of people? How will like a widow she has become? She that was great among the nations. She that was a princess among the provinces has become a vassal. She weeps bitterly in the night. She runs through the house with a pickle in her mouth, with tears on her cheeks of pickle juice. Among all her lovers, she has no one to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her, and they have become her enemies. Uh, It keeps going on, man. And there's not a pick-you-up part of this, uh, but it's full of some great imagery and stuff that's helpful for picking out songs for a playlist, but also uh, if you want to flesh out our particularly bony uh, gospel this week, you got princes and princesses, uh, that's some children's sermon material in there. Tears on cheeks. Um, yeah, but not not really redemption. There's an emptiness here as well, which is kind of a, um, a fun angle. Not fun, but an angle. Yeah, we have just had some harsh, uh, bitter winds, prophet, prophetic readings this uh, summer and fall. It's a bit like uh, Locust Grove Baptist Church. No one comes to the festivals. All the gates are desolate. Her priests groan. Her young girls grieve. Her lot is bitter. Indeed. Yeah. So use some of this imagery as your recommendation. Use some of this imagery for uh, your preaching, which is going to be on the gospel text we're recommending. Uh, yeah. I mean, unless your people are just way too high and haughty and need to be brought low. Uh, or you got too many people in church. Uh, this is how you clear them out. You could also do a working preacher recommends. Uh, use it liturgically. I don't know how you would do that. I'm just... (laughs) Give it a shot. Give it a shot, listener. (laughs) 
All right, Lamentations. Well, I've got... You want to see the other uh, Old Testament text? What do you got? Anything more hopeful? I got Habakkuk or Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Depending on where you want to put that accent. Uh, Habakkuk 1 and 2. The oracle that the prophet... I'm going to say Habakkuk saw. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, judgment comes forth perverted. I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. And I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and he, he, what he will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that a rudder may read it. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. Word of God, word of life. Habakkuk! Uh, Matt, you do have an opportunity here in reading this text uh, to do something kind of fun there. It was one of my favorite things uh, to switch things up a bit about the Chicago Fire when they had a uh, Chicago soccer team, had a player named Logan Paws, uh, and uh, there would always be a special emphasis when they introduced him. And here, verse uh, 3, chapter 2, if it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come, you know? Yes. Mm -hmm. Love it. Yeah, it's a good, that's my favorite part of the reading, I think, is that uh, write the vision, make it plain. There is still a vision for the appointed time. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. I mean, you actually, you get a little bit of gospel here in the prophet. Usually we just get death and destruction, but we got a little gospel here. I think the last time I preached on this three years ago, this was like the ending of my sermon, uh, Mm. where it kind of, what it, what it kind of, I don't know if that was the crescendo or if that was like the, the closer. But I used it. I think I preached on the gospel, but I used this little line. Make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it. So that font size got to be, be big, big enough. Got to be a big font. What, what would you use on a tablet so that a runner could read it, man? I like Avenir. Big fan Avenir. of Avenir lately. Is that Sarah's nice though, right? Nope. No, no, Sarah, no Sans? 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 Sarah. All right. Well, that's good. That's helpful. Yeah. What kind of, what kind of point, what kind of size would we use here? I don't know. I mean, are these runners with good eyesight? How are we uh, not How sure. fast are the runners? There's a lot. You're, uh, you're a runner. What do you recommend? Mm, I'm a runner <laughs> with, with poor eyesight. So um, I'm going to need it pretty, pretty big. Pretty big. Okay. <laughs> good advice. Good advice. That's what they come to the Vinyl Preacher for. That'd be if you want to build it up in the right way. Uh, you could build it up and be talking about how you're going to build that sign. What's it going to be? How big is the font going to be? What font are you going to use? Personally, I'm going to use Optima. I'm a big fan of using Optima in worship. Do you Optima? Oh, I'm going to check that out. Helvetica New is really good, especially condensed bold and condensed black. Uh, it's the official font at the university, so I, I use that sometimes to try to confuse our oh. branding to make us look a little more yes. professional. Uh, but you could uh, you could you could work it up. And you could say make a little false dichotomy, uh, kind of a thing here. You know, oh, it's real important. Uh, but you know what? It's real important what kind of font you use on a big sign. But that's not the font that really matters. What we got What's to be worried about matters? is the baptismal font. That's the one we got to be worried Woo! about. What's the what's the point size on your baptismal font? All right, baby Billy. You gonna you gonna make your baptismal is your baptismal font bold or is it condensed? Is it thin? You can get that thin, thin font. You don't want that. 
You want the bold. You want a bold font. See, I could be you real good preacher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. You don't want Comic Sans. Ain't nobody gonna take that seriously. <laughs> No. Baptism into a Comic Sans font don't count. That's what they determined at the Council of Nicaea. It's not a true baptism. Preach. It has to be so. baptism Preach. in the triune name of God that is not Comic Sans. Everybody knows that. Amen. Amen, Zach. Augustine Amen. was clear on this matter. What uh, What have you got for the gospel? Not Since much. We're talking about the size. Not much. This is not a great we're gospel. We're talking about leading. increasing and decreasing size. Increase. Bold me up. Take the the ligature and put it up there. Superscript me. The, the first paragraph uh, is great. The second paragraph of the gospel text is <laughs> horrible. I mean, I, I think you could do stuff with it, but oh my god, it seems like it's gonna be painful to read. Matt, there is stuff to do here, but none of it is great, to be honest. <laughs> uh, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Control B us. Um, I don't know the, our command B. I don't know the command for, for raising font size. I don't know that shortcut. Uh, the Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Uh, question here, Matt, as a person who goes on tangents. Uh, who was saying anything about uprooting mulberry trees? Is deforestation a part of the work of God? Is that what the disciples are hoping to be able to do? Uh, are they moving down to Brazil? You're telling me about power to do things I don't really care to do. Thanks, Jesus. Uh, but then it gets worse. Who among you would say to your slave, which is what the word is, doula, a slave who's just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table. Would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink, and later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you've done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. Matt, who doesn't love a good gospel where it paints slaveholders in a sympathetic light? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty awful. Pretty <laughs> awful. Thanks, Kevin. Well, so I don't know what. I mean, if you're going to read this in this language, you're going to have to unpack it. If you want to keep this gospel, you're going to have to unpack it. If you want to keep your job, you're going to have to unpack it. So the first thing I thought of when I was reading this was, um, it feels to me like a call to humility, which feels to me like a part of what was going on a couple of weeks ago with the banquet and where you're going to be, where you're going to seat yourself at the banquet. And I took that and turned it upside down with that line you know, come and take your place. I mean, I, I've been using this line, take your place at the table, as almost a refrain in my preaching for this entire fall season, September and October. Like, that's just kind of my refrain. It's like God is inviting you to take your place at the table, both the communion table, but also the tables of the world that, that God prepares a place for us. And so I think there, that's what I would try to do with it is to figure out how to pull that out, how to turn this upside down, how to really, what if it's saying something different than we first think it's saying? as the mm. angle that I would want to tackle it with. Yeah. I don't know yet how I get there, but I feel like you have to do something with that. And it's just, I mean, I'll, like it is really, I understand like you can dive into the historical, okay, this is what slavery meant uh, in that time period, but it doesn't solve the problem, right? Like it's a piece of the puzzle. Uh, but when you're preaching in America, 150 years after we <laughs> had another particular kind of slavery, like you just, you cannot just 
preach based on the first century. Like you have to also deal with that if you're using those same words. And I'll say it's like especially painful for me to preach these, to like read these gospel texts. Even if I preach something different, the moment of reading this gospel text aloud as a white leader in a community of color is horrible. So I wish these texts weren't in here. But they are. And so then maybe they force us to reckon with some things that we wouldn't otherwise reckon with. I'd like to use this opportunity, Matt, to brag on the, the centennial state, the great state of Colorado, which bravely, boldly, if you will, repealed slavery in 2018. It's fully out of the Constitution now. So we did fail in 2016. That measure did not pass because of some confusing wording. Uh, but now slavery actually not allowed in Colorado. So, wow, so you legalized weed before abolition. That's correct. Correct. Okay. Full, full abolition okay. did not come until we got some weed. Okay. Um, we, right. already, we already had plenty of weed. Um, yeah, it was, it was in the Constitution as it was outlawed in the Constitution except in the cases for, as a punishment for a crime. So I, got, I also wonder about the connection. What is the connection between these two sections of this gospel text? Uh-huh. I know you're like, there's so many non sequiturs. Like they ask a question and then Jesus is like, gives a complete non sequitur response. But, um, but I wonder about the connection. Cause I like, there's, it's like, you still have to wrestle with the first part of the text, but it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit easier. It's a little bit more low hanging fruit yeah. from the mulberry tree. You ever had a mulberry tree? No. Me either. Is that a thing? I mean, the tree, I, it's got to be, right? The last time I preached in this text, I remember I was preaching on um, Caribbean. It was Central American Caribbean Sunday for us. We were celebrating different Independence Days and doing some cultural stuff after church. So I changed the um, the tree to a mahogany tree, which is the tree uh, Belize and uh, talked about the Caribbean Sea. And so I took some of those things and made them local. And that was a fun way to, to bring it home. I don't know, just to give it a little bit of a different uh, shape. And you got to see, so you got to do something with baptism with that, right? That's what would true. be implanted in? Uh, Matt, yeah, this is a super baptismal text, which is helpful for the whole baptismal font riff that I had earlier. Mm-hmm. You're going to um, use it, aren't you? <laughs> here's where I'm going. I don't know. I don't think I'm preaching this week. Thanks be to God for the first time in like eight months. Um, where I'm going to go with this story, you got to do a lot of work. And you probably need to do some of it explicitly in that 7 to 10. Um, But what I hear and see underneath these awful words is Jesus saying, uh, to go back to God's work, our hands Sunday, uh, it's saying that we do God's work with our hands because we are God's people. That's who we are. And so we simply, that's why we do what we do. Um, Because a part of... This is also the callback to when the the disciples are arguing over who gets to sit at the right hand and stuff, right? Increase our faith. Really what it means at the time uh, isn't so much make me believe more, but it's about that bonding, the relationship between the two, because that's how the the kind of patron system and being they've left their families, left all security behind. And their only security becomes through their relationship with this new, with Jesus, who's accumulating all this honor and power. Uh, And so what they're saying is increase our loyalty, make us closer, um, let us be closer. We really want to be connected to you. And so in 7 to 10, I think we're hearing on one hand that, that the people of God do this stuff because they are the people of God. And this is simply what you do. There's not a... You know, you can put put this through a pretty Lutheran lens of uh, anti-works righteousness. And the good news, I think, in 5 and 6 is that being a part of the people of God, having faith is a lot like pregnancy. 
that it's a thing you either have or you do not have, uh, and it's not about levels or um, being closer or further away, uh, but it is the good news uh, that we we are acclaimed by God. So where I would, through all this wrestling and flipping and going around, I'd get to the good news that God calls us to relax into who we are made to be, which feels like it's pretty far away from from where the text starts or where we would find the text on first reading. But the then that that, I think, empowers us for the Lamentations uh, to walk down the empty streets, to go into exile, because if the promise of God is the promise of our identity and who we are, that travels. That'll go with us. When the temple gets torn down, um, we are still the people of God. When whatever the temples are in our lives, when those things fall down, break. I mean, it, it, this kind of kind of ends several stories in a row of Jesus going after some big stuff. We're yeah. only a few weeks removed from you got to hate your brother and your sister. You can't serve God and wealth. Jesus is tearing everything down. Here's the promise at the end of that. The promise is when everything's torn away, you are still the people of God. You're still connected mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. So that's my yeah. ac- the acrobatics I plan to do to address the text. Yeah. Yeah, to get to identity. Yeah, no, I really I really like that. I think I think connected to that. And this is what I was talking about earlier with trying to get to have it matter to you as an individual, right? Like to really drive this point home like to have it matter to somebody. Uh, first time in my life, Zach, that uh, my spouse has complimented me on a sermon series. She's like, yeah, it's actually, this is pretty good. I was like, what? Huh? This is, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, so that's, that's cool. And I think the theme that has been developing, uh, I, I wanted to start with this image of the table and think about the place of the table and also talk about communion a little bit because people have all these ideas about communion. I want to argue about it. So I said, okay, I better do a little bit of teaching about communion in the sermon without making it a teaching sermon, but somehow all that good stuff. Right. But what it's turned into is like, um, coming back to this theme again and again of like us feeling when when we are worthless slaves, that us feeling worthless, right. Or this idea of increase our faith. We feel like we're not enough. We feel like we don't have a place at the table because we feel like we're not enough. We feel like the thing ahead of us is too big. We feel like we don't belong. And even preaching that, like, I've been thinking about what it means to preach in a in a college context, right? For students that are at USC for the first time, they're freshmen at USC, you go to your classes, you might feel like you don't belong, right? And, mm-hmm. like, so that just that whole sense of, like, where does our worth come from? And then to replant that in our identity, right, as a baptized child of God. And I've been saying again and again that, like, you're, you are you are made worthy. You are worthy. Your creation was your invitation. That's Ooh. my one little rhyme. Ooh. I know, I say it every week because I like the rhyme. Uh, but to really drive that, that home. On Campus Ministry Sunday last week when we had student preachers, not last week, last year, one of my students had a great line uh, along some of your thoughts there, Matt, uh, where she said that I feel like I'm not enough and I'm too much all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, I, and I think this text is partly about that, right? This, like, it's it, it does, it harkens back to that, like, where do you sit? Are you sitting in the highest place or the lowest place? But, like, at the end of the day, it, it doesn't matter. We're rooted in this identity where we, we are enough. You are enough. And that's yeah. good news. Nice. Way to take us back to identity. I'm shocked, yeah. shocked that you, of all people, Pastor Zach, would take us to identity. You know me. Uh, I mean, that ties into the Timothy, too. I find the Timothy has been actually kind of helpful for fleshing some stuff out, but I, if I don't read it and I come up with my tech gospel take and then I go to Timothy, 
it helps flesh out some stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, it's there, right? Um, mm-hmm. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice now, and now I am sure lives in you. Uh, and nice. what, a, what a countercultural description of faith uh, that is. The faith is literally a thing given to you, mm-hmm. right? Not yeah. just uh, somebody causing you to believe, but that you were given the faith of your of your ancestors, you were given the faith of this community. It's its own thing that gets passed down in of its, that exists, you know? It's passed down from gemstone to gemstone. From gemstone to gemstone. For this reason, I'm reminded, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you. It's already there. Ooh. It's already there. Rekindle? What a great word. Mm-hmm. It's already there. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's we just beautiful rekindle line. a couple things. For God, whoo. This is a line you hail Curry with love, I gotta say. <laughs> For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power mm. and of love and of self-discipline. Woo! I gotta pull that one out. I'm gonna... <laughs> mm-hmm. As a community organizer, I'm always talking about power. I like this. Rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. We found some... You know, I mean, it's tough. It's... Oh. But... We got some stuff. We got some stuff. Well, what do you listen to with all this stuff? Besides, I mean, I don't know if you're going to throw uh, Misbehaving. You know, I don't know if you were planning on to or not. We should definitely put it on there. I don't think it's on Spotify yet because it would be top of the charts on Spotify. Um, but I think it's it's uh, fine to put it on the uh, on the playlist this week because, you know, Lamentations saying they're going to exile because people Israel have been misbehaving. You've been running through the temple with a pickle in your mouth. Um, it's, it's your favorite line. Oh, gosh. I love that line because it makes no sense. Uh, I'm going to put uh, one of T-Swift's newest songs, Matt. Uh, Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Prince. Um, Ooh. T-Swift. We got Prince, Princesses, Things Going Bad. Uh People saying that uh, that the people of God been uh, been bad. It's a good one. It's a good one. Also, there's tears. Uh, I like the tears line. There's always good songs about tears. So I'm going with Tupac's "So Many Tears." Uh, and then finally, Matt, Brittany Howard of the Alabama Shakes. Uh, yeah, have you listened to that album? Did you listen to the album? Came out. So I'm going to put one of Brittany Howard's. It's a solo album. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to put "He Loves Me" on the playlist. Um, it's not a complete, like, systematic theology, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's a song, uh, she says, I don't go to church much anymore, but he still loves me. Um, which I think speaks to that sort of identity piece, though. Even if it's a, a little thing that needs to be rekindled, it's, it's enough. Cool. Good stuff. What do you think about that album? Do you like that album? I wanted to like it a lot. I think it's going to be a thing I'm going to have to listen to a couple times because I, yeah. I, I downloaded it on Spotify so I could put it on repeat, you know? Right. And first couple songs, I was like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And I couldn't, it wasn't right for the moment that I was in. But then when right. I was looking through the album to pick out songs, this is a good song. He loves me. He's good. Um, <laughs> I thought, yeah, there's not like a banger. And I kind of wanted a bang. I was, it was in a moment for a banger. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, because she's got that voice where she can mm-hmm. can do it. Yeah, no, I kind of felt the same way. So keep, and then I went online to like see what people were saying about it, and it was these like fire reviews. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I'll keep listening. 
Here's the chorus. I know he still loves me when I'm smoking blunts. Loves me when I'm drinking too much. He loves me then, yeah. He loves me when I do what I want. He loves me. He doesn't judge. Yes, he loves me. Yeah. Good stuff. It's maybe not the whole story, but an important thread to be woven into the playlist this week. The next time we sing, um, Yes, Jesus Loves Me at our church, I'm going to switch out the lyrics. <laughs> and just yes, and put Jesus Jesus loves lyrics me when I'm smoking blunts. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right, there's, a, there's a cool new star church that would love that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. If only I was a hipster. I could if do only it. you were a satanic raver, they would be so into it. <laughs> Oh my gosh, classic. Um, what am I listening to? Well, uh, anytime I got wait for it here, wait for it, then I got to go with... Uh, Hold on a second, Matt. Yeah. You waiting for it? Yeah, we're just waiting for it. That's what, that's what I thought. Uh, yeah, I got to go with wait for it from uh, from Hamilton. Mm-hmm. From Hamilton, sung by his, uh, his arch nemesis uh, there, Aaron Burr. Who always waits for it? Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> Zach's still not a Hamilton fan, but still not. Uh, one day, still not. One, one day, day. Get sure. board. we're gonna really sure. in. Once it's not cool anymore, then maybe we'll really. I do appreciate the history of duels. Uh, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> the ten duel commandments. The ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or that, like, the, like it was pretty like a common occurrence for both people to walk away from a duel alive. Yeah. Because the guns were so like unreliable and. But not Alexander Hamilton. I'm no. sorry, but <laughs> or his son, for that matter. It's a little bit crazy. Uh, so what else do I got? Um, so come here and and take your place at the table. Come up. We need to come up where we belong. Sing Joe Cocker mm. <laughs> and his duet partner there. Up where we belong. Up where we belong. And then uh, Bonnie Vare new album out recently sometime this year I don't remember when uh, but uh, he's got a song called Faith so they say increase our faith if you had faith the side of a mustard seed I just love some good Bonnie Bear does this one from uh, from the woods in Wisconsin aren't they all from the woods in Wisconsin I would hope so <laughs> so that's what we got this week for the 17th Sunday I like it I like it. And you know, Matt, what we need to be working on next? I feel like we can do a super pod with Jason Gallagher of The Ringer, producer of NBA Desktop, and Spencer Dinwiddie, NBA player, St. Mark's alum. Yeah. Super pod. Yeah, we'll work. I think that's uh, how we lure Jason on and Spencer, use them against each other. I know you're listening, Spencer, so uh, give us a call. Jason, clearly listening. We're tight with Spencer. We can talk about his new shoes Mm -hmm. or his shoe line, not new shoes. And uh, Binge Mode going to do a deep dive into Star Wars, I believe. So I would be happy to talk to you about that. Matt would be happy to talk to you about that. Let's let's do it. (laughs) Well, Matt, it's been real. It's been real... Final. 